church this this Tuesday. This Tuesday. Can you guys hear me? Okay, great. This Tuesday is a very important day as we elect the next president of our nation is going to be a voting location. And we're very thankful to have this connection with our community. I've had numerous conversations in recent days about the upcoming election. And over and over again, I've been thinking about a verse in the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7:14. Some of you are familiar with this verse. It's actually a promise that God gave to the nation of Israel. And he said this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I believe that promise extends to God's people today as followers of Jesus Christ. And so with that promise in mind, I'd like for us to take a moment just to bow our heads and to pray together as God's people. So would you do that? Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Father, our Father in heaven, today we acknowledge that you alone are God. You are the one who rules and overrules the affairs of men and women and nations. Father, we believe that your purposes will prevail as you continue to write the story of our nation. Father, looking back, we are thankful for those who came to America seeking the freedom to worship you, the freedom to live according to your principles. And Father, looking around today, we see how far we have drifted from the foundations upon which our nation was built. And God, as we look ahead and have great concern about a very uncertain future, we pray that as your people, our confidence, our hope, will not be found in a person or in a political party, but in you alone. Father, Jesus taught us to pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And even though we see your will being disregarded in so many ways, we continue to pray that you will change the hearts of our leaders, the hearts of our people, and that you will change the course of our nation. Father, as we vote on Tuesday, remind us that even though we may be citizens of the United States, our primary citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await a Savior. And until Jesus returns, help us to do this, Father. Help us to represent you well in this world. Help us to engage with our culture and not retreat from it. Father, may your church be like a city on a hill, an outpost of light in a dark world, a place where your truth and your grace are shared with gentleness and respect, but never compromised. Father, we pray today for the one thing that can actually save our nation and save us, revival, turning to you in repentance and faith. And Father, we know this. We cannot expect that revival will begin in the White House. Revival must begin in your house, with your people, with us. And so today we pray that you will ignite our hearts with a holy fire that will enable us to carry out the mission Jesus himself has given us to go and make disciples as we share the hope of the gospel in our church, in our community, and in our world. For we pray in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, church, I want to encourage you to continue praying this week along those lines. 
And as I begin the message this morning, I have a question for you. How many of you have ever read a story known as a fairy tale? Now, this is not a news flash, but fairy tales begin with this phrase, once upon a time. And then what happens is the characters are introduced and they either run into all kinds of trouble or have a great adventure, but you never worry about the characters in the story. You know it's going to be okay. And the reason is this, because this is how fairy tales end with this statement. And they all lived, let's say it together, happily ever after. Now, is that true in real life? No, not by a long shot. We know that life is filled with unhappy endings. Today, we're continuing the series called Survivor. And the title of today's message is Surviving an Unhappy Ending. And here's why this topic is so important. We live in a world where things do not work out so often the way we had planned. Sometimes employment situations have an unhappy ending. Sometimes friendships and marriages have an unhappy ending. This Tuesday, there is going to be an important presidential election in our nation that for many people will result in an unhappy ending. I remember during the years that I was a, a paramedic and a firefighter, I went on thousands and thousands of 911 calls. And so often those calls resulted in an unhappy ending for someone. Could be an auto accident, an illness, a heart attack, a stroke, somebody's house burned down, their business was destroyed. And during the time that I've been a pastor, I've seen countless unhappy endings in people's lives, including my own. And we know this, that when you go through an unhappy ending, there is this sense of, of grief, this sense of loss, this sense of discouragement and disappointment. And because of that, there's a very important question that I want to address this morning, and it's there on your outline. How can you survive an unhappy ending? Now, church, I hope this message will e equip you and encourage you as you go through unhappy endings because they are inevitable. But I hope this message will do more than that. I hope the message today will help you help someone else who's going through a very difficult time in their life, somebody who's facing an unhappy ending. So I want you to do this. Take good notes so that you can review them and so that you can share these principles from God's word with somebody else. Because here's the reality. God wants us to do more than survive in this broken world. He wants us to find a way to survive, a way to get above the circumstances, a way to lift our heads and our hearts, especially when life is hard. So how can we do that? How can we survive and even thrive when we face an unhappy ending? Well, here's the first step, and you'll find this on your outline. Remember where you are in the story. And church, this is critically important. Remember where you are in the story. Now, the story that I'm talking about is a story written in this book we call the Bible. Because the Bible tells us this incredible story that we're all a part of. In fact, your life will never make any sense unless you understand the story in the Bible. And here's the reason, because the day you were born, you entered a story that was already taking place. It's like going to the movies and you get there an hour late and you have no idea what's going on. Well, when you understand the story in the Bible, it helps you understand what's going on around you as you watch the news. When you understand the story in the Bible, it helps you understand what's happening in your life. In fact, understanding this story in the Bible helps us understand what's going on inside us. The things that we think, the emotions we experience, the things that we struggle with. And so here's what I want to do. Very briefly this morning, I'm going to walk you through the whole Bible. In about 
I don't know, eight to ten minutes. Because I want to break it down into four chapters. And I want you to understand where you are in the story. It's like being at the mall. Ever see one of those maps in the mall? And it says, you are here. I want you to know where you are in the story that God is writing. So, here's chapter one. And this is on your outline. Chapter one is creation. And creation tells us this, how it all began. Now, this is the first statement in the Bible. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. At the beginning of this story, God creates everything that exists. Time, space, sun, moon, stars, planets, animals, people. And everything that God made was good. Everything God made was beautiful. Everything was made for a reason. Everything has a purpose, including you and me. And in this story, we read about the first two people. And what are their names? Adam and Eve. And God creates them so they can know him and love him and enjoy him for how long? Yeah, forever. And as created beings, each one of us has been made in the same way to find our meaning and purpose in God, to have God at the center of our lives. Now, when God made Adam and Eve, he put them in a perfect place. Where was that place? The Garden of Eden, yes. And at that point in the story, is there any pain, suffering, relational conflict? No, it's a perfect place. And you know, it was probably a lot easier for Adam and Eve because, I mean, you think about it, Eve never told Adam about her old boyfriends. Didn't have any. And, and Adam never, you know, bragged about his mom's cooking. So it was a bit easier, I would think. But at one point in the story, all of this relational harmony and perfection comes crashing down, and we enter this part of the story called the fall. And the fall tells us what went wrong. Now, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden... He gave them the freedom to eat from any tree except one that was in the center. He said, if you eat from this tree, you will surely what? You'll surely die. And it was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God knew that this was a test and that Adam's decision to obey or disobey would not only affect Adam, it would affect every human being that would follow, including us. Adam held the destiny of the human race in his hands. In fact, Adam's choice would affect the entire universe that God had created. And on one fateful day, Adam and Eve both chose to disobey God. You see, according to the story, Adam and Eve were not alone in the garden. There was this fallen angelic being known as Satan in the Bible. And he was disguised as a serpent. And he tempted Adam and Eve to doubt the goodness and the truth of God. He tempted them to consider what life would be like if they could call the shots, if they could decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. And they believed the lie, the lie that disobeying God would not have serious consequences because the exact opposite was true. Disobeying God had disastrous consequences. And this chapter that we call the fall really explains a lot that we see in the world today. The Bible says that because of Adam and Eve's sin, a curse fell on humanity and on all of creation. Now pain and suffering and illness and death had entered the world. Nothing Absolutely nothing is the way it's supposed to be. And now there is moral evil in the world as people make sinful and selfish choices. And we see this play out in the news every single day. There is moral evil in our world. And there's another kind of evil. There's a natural evil because the created order has been corrupted and there are floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and all kinds of natural disasters. But it even gets worse this fall has deeply affected each one of us because when we are born, we come into this world with a heart that is defective, a heart that pulls us away from God, from his plan and purpose for our lives. Instead of God being at the center of our lives, we are at the center 
of our lives. And because of this event that we call the fall, because of this original sin, this original disobedience, people like us are broken inside. We're separated from God. And we're living under this this curse of physical death and spiritual death and eternal death. But thank God that's not the end of the story because this leads us to the next chapter, chapter 3, which is all about redemption. I want to show you a beautiful verse in the book of Colossians about redemption. It says this, For he has rescued us, speaking of God, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the story, chapter one, what's chapter one? If you're taking notes. Creation, who created everything? God did. And this God who made everything exists as one God, but three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this plan of redemption involves all three. God the Father sends God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus enters the world in a miraculous way. We're going to be celebrating Christmas in just a few weeks, and we talk about this young teenage girl who was chosen by God to be the mother of his son. What's her name? Mary. Mary is a virgin. And this is a part of the story that is often overlooked, but Jesus enters the world in a miraculous way, and he lives in a, an amazing life. He never, ever sins. He loves God and loves people perfectly. And then Jesus does this. He's willing to lay down his life for us. He is qualified to be our substitute because of his perfect life. And so he willingly is arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. And on the cross, this is what happens. God is willing to take our sin and place our sin on Jesus. He punishes Jesus instead of us. And the wrath of God against our sin is poured out on Christ. He dies the death that we deserve. But the story continues because three days later, what happens? Jesus is raised to life. And he says, hey, come and follow me. Trust me, I'll give you a new life. Now, as the story continues, we know that 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus goes home. Now, where is Jesus right now? Where is Jesus right now? I mean, he's present by his Holy Spirit, but where is Jesus Christ? Yeah, he's in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He is the righteous king of the universe. See, the kingdom of God has already come to earth. Why? Because the king has already come. But friends, we need to realize this. The kingdom of God is not what it will someday be. It has only partially come because the king is going to return. And when the king returns, the kingdom of God will be fully realized and everything in creation will be restored. Look at this verse. This is from the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is a description of where we're headed. This future kingdom of God is a place where God lives with his people. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the story, where does God live with Adam and Eve? In the Garden of Eden. God is with his people. He is physically present. And sin separates God from his people. And what happens at the end of the story? There is no more separation. In Revelation chapter 21, it says that the dwelling of God is with his people and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's no more crying or pain or death. Everything is made new. And we know this, that one day Jesus is going to return and take us where? And take us home. But church, here's what we need to realize. We are not home yet. 
We live in chapter three. That's where you and I are. This place where, where there are so many unhappy endings and in order to survive an unhappy ending, you have to remember where you are in the story. A number of years ago, there was a, a football game that took place in Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin. And that stadium was packed with over 60,000 Wisconsin fans and they were watching their team play the, the Michigan State Spartans and it was clear that Michigan State had a much better team. What seemed odd, however, was that as the score became increasingly lopsided, there were these spontaneous shouts of joy and applause that came from these fans whose team was getting trounced. And it was kind of strange, but it turns out that 70 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in the third game of the World Series. And people in the stands had these little portable radios. Remember those? And they were listening to the baseball game. And so because they were celebrating the victory of their baseball team, they weren't discouraged by what was happening on the field with their football team. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could have that kind of dual perspective? What if we had these little radios that connected us to heaven and told us what's going on and the plans that Jesus is making to come back and to make all things new? Would that make any difference as we look at the things unfolding on planet Earth? I think it would. It would help us deal with unhappy endings because we would remember where we are in the story. Now here's something else we need to do. This is the second thing on your outline. Trust the one who is writing the story. Trust the one who is writing the story. Look at this verse from Proverbs. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And here's the promise. He will show you which path to take. How many of you are familiar with a term called glamour shots? You know what those are? When a photographer takes a picture of somebody and then he really touches up the photo to make you look really, really good. Anybody ever have a glamour shot? You know, sometimes the photographer does so much to the photograph, it looks more like a makeover than a glamour shot. But I was thinking about it this week. There are people that carry around a glamour shot of God. And here's what I mean. They've made God over into someone they think he is rather than the God that he's revealed himself to be in the pages of Scripture. And I think one of the reasons that happens is when people go through a really painful experience in their life, they have a hard time reconciling what they're going through with a God who is good and a God who is powerful and a God who hasn't stepped in to save the day. Because they expect God to rescue them. They expect God to give them a happy ending. One of the best examples of this is a book written a number of years ago. It was written by a Jewish rabbi. His name is Harold Kushner. And some of you may have read this book, or at least you're familiar with the title, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Is that familiar to many of you? Now, Harold Kushner watched his son die from an illness, and he concluded this, that God has a hard time keeping bad things from happening to good people. And there were millions of people that read this book. And they, they found this, this sort of comfort in a God who is kind and compassionate and yet powerless. I remember reading a comment that someone made who read the book, and this person was actually a survivor of the Holocaust. And the person said this, if that's who God is, why doesn't he resign and let somebody more competent take his place? I don't know about you, but I don't find a whole lot of comfort in a God who is kind and compassionate, but powerless. 
because that's not the God of the scriptures. The God of this book is a God who has all power, who is omnipotent, who is in charge of your life and my life and everything in this universe. And listen, when you're facing an unhappy ending or somebody you love is facing an unhappy ending, this is the quintessential question that we wrestle with. Can I trust God? Can I trust the one who is writing this story, the one who is writing my story? And in order to trust God, we have to make certain choices. And here's one of the first choices we have to make, and this is on your outline. Choose to believe that God is in control. Choose to believe that God is in control. This is what the Bible says. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Friends, the scripture is clear that despite all evidence to the contrary, God is still on his throne. He is in control. And here's something else we need to realize. Pain and trouble that pour into our lives are not always a result of our sin or a lack of faith. Sometimes we are just experiencing the consequences of our choices. But there are other times when pain and suffering are not because of anything we have done or failed to do. And I think about that when I reflect on a story that's found in the Gospels. Jesus and his disciples are walking down the road and they encounter this blind guy. He's been blind since he was born. And the disciples ask the why question. Why, Jesus? Why was this guy born blind? Was it because of his sin or the sins of his parents? And Jesus gives a remarkable answer. He says it's not because he sinned. It's not because his parents sinned. This man was born blind so that the power of God could be seen in him. And what, is, what does Jesus do? Because he is God come in the flesh, because he has his divine power, he heals this blind man. He takes a very unhappy ending and turns it into a new beginning. And church, God still does that today. He still uses his incredible power. As we sang this morning, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That same power can turn an unhappy ending into a new beginning. And when it comes to unhappy endings, Think about this. There's a, a chapter in the Bible that I always think about when I talk about trusting God. It's Hebrews chapter 11, and the big topic is faith. And it has all these stories about people that had all this faith. And here's what's so fascinating. The, the person who writes Hebrews talks about, like, Noah and Abraham and Moses and, and how God saved the day and how God kept his promises and how so many people who trusted God had a happy ending. But then you transition to another group of people who loved and trusted God just as much, and they didn't. In fact, they had a very unhappy ending. They died not ever seeing the Savior that God had promised. But how did they live their life here on earth? They continued to trust God. They believed that God was writing not just the big story, but writing their story. And that enabled them to survive unhappy endings in their own lives because they believed that a better day was coming. In order to survive an unhappy ending, we have to choose to believe that God's in control. And here's something else that we can choose to believe, that God cares about you, that he really cares about you. This is a verse from 1 Peter, cast all your anxiety on him. That word cast literally means drop. Just drop your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And the question is, do we really believe that? I mean, do you think God cares if you can't find your car keys and you're late to work? Do you think God cares if you 
drop your cell phone in the toilet? You think God cares if you're having a bad hair day? You know, I could go on and on, but here's the thing. Jesus said one time that even the hairs of your head are numbered. Now think about that. That's a crazy statement, isn't it? That God knows exactly how many hairs you have on your head, and if one falls out, he notices. He doesn't promise to replace it, but he notices. (laughs) Now, if God notices that kind of detail, isn't that remarkable? That means that he does care about everything that happens in your life and mine. He's not just in charge, he cares. And here's a, a third choice that we can make. Choose to believe that God will complete your story. That God will complete your story. This is what Paul, a follower of Jesus in the first century, said, I am certain, I am confident that God who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. We we sang a song a little while ago, Oh No, You Never Let Go. And that's a promise. God's not going to let go. He's going to finish the work that he started in you and started in me. And, And here's the deal, church. We don't get to choose how we suffer in this life, do we? We don't get to choose. We don't get to choose how, how long we suffer. But we get to choose this, how we respond to suffering. And we can choose to trust the one who is writing the story. And that one is God. Now let me give you a final way to survive an unhappy ending. Number three on your outline, connect with others who believe the story. And this is so important. Connect with other people who actually believe the story. It's what the Bible says in the book of Galatians, carry each other's burdens. Put your shoulder under each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. We show love by carrying each other's burdens. There was a, a police officer that got a, a 911 call. It was for a guy who was going to jump off a bridge. So the police officer rolls up on the scene, and he walks up to this guy and says, listen, before you jump, let me just... Uh, Make a suggestion. Tell you what. Why don't you take just a couple of minutes and tell me why you think you should jump off the bridge, and then I'll take a few minutes, and I'll tell you why I think you shouldn't, and then you can just make up your mind, okay? The guy says, all right. So the guy takes a few minutes and tells the police officer why he's convinced he should jump off the bridge. And then the police officer tells him why he shouldn't, and then the police officer takes his hand, and together they jump off the bridge. We are deeply influenced by the people we are connected to when we face an unhappy ending. And the Bible says we need to be connected with other people who do what? Who believe, look at your notes, who believe what? Who believe the story. Now think about this. Who faced one of the most unhappy endings in the history of humanity? Good, exactly. Jesus. I mean, did Jesus have a happy ending to his life? No, he had an incredibly unhappy ending. And listen, this did not take Jesus by surprise. He knew that he was going to face this incredibly unhappy ending. And before he embraced this unhappy ending, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what did Jesus do before he was arrested? Who knows? What did he do? He was on his knees. That's a clue. He was praying. And who did he ask to pray with him? his three closest friends in the whole world. He said, Peter, James, John, hey guys, come and pray with me. My my soul feels like it's being crushed. I need you to watch and pray. And that should be such an example to us. Listen, when your life is, 
is coming off the rails and your heart is broken, find other people to pray with you. People who will remind you that God is in control, that God loves you, that God cares. And, and church, let me say this. I know that, that sometimes when, when life is hard, we have this tendency to withdraw from other people to isolate ourselves, to kind of push people away. And the reason I know we have this tendency is because that is my tendency. That's my default mode. Just leave me alone. I'm going to somehow get through this by myself. And God has convinced me that that is not his design. And so as a church family, I just want to encourage you, get connected with other people who can remind you that God's story is true. Because this is what happens. When life is hard, our faith can begin to falter. We can begin to doubt that God is in charge and doubt that God is good and we need other people who believe that who will hold us up until we believe it again too. And so I encourage you, connect with people who believe the story. And let me just close with this thought. Today we're, we're celebrating communion and what a perfect time to talk about this idea of unhappy endings as we look at the life of Jesus. Because Here's the reality. Jesus understood the story that God is writing. And on the day that Jesus died, he knew right where he was in the story, and he knew this, the story's not over. And church, today, as we come to remember the life of Jesus, we look back and we remember the sacrificial death, the victorious resurrection of our Lord. But we do more than just look back. We look ahead. Because a better day is coming. Isn't that true, church? Jesus said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to make all things new. We look ahead and remember that. But today, as we celebrate communion, we also look around and we remember that because God is God, he can take a very unhappy ending and with his mighty power, create in us and for us a new beginning. Do you really believe that? Let's pray. Father, I, I'm really at a loss for words right now as I think about the, the promises that you've made to us and how incredible they really are, God. That a day is coming when, when everything will be the way it's supposed to be. God, over the years, you've allowed many of us to not just see unhappy endings, but go through them ourselves. And God, we long for the day when Jesus will return and make all things new and make all things right. But we're not home yet, God. You've left us here for a reason and I praise, Lord, so very much that, that you give us the, the faith, Lord, the gift of faith to believe that you're really in charge and that you really care and that you will complete our story. And Lord, right now as we celebrate communion, give us a special sense that you're right here with us. Lord, draw our hearts to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to read these verses.